If you have your Bible, go ahead and grab them and turn to the Gospel of John. We're going to look in there. John chapter 14. Where we're going to dig in this morning as we continue in the series we've been in, um, talking about our spiritual enemy, uh, Satan. John chapter 14, we're just going to read uh, one verse to begin. This is Jesus speaking, and Jesus says in John 14, 10, Don't you believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. This is the word of the Lord. So going back to uh, when I was in seminary many, many years ago, as I was there, um, I, I was at a, it was actually, a, even though we're an American Baptist church and I grew up American Baptist, it was a Southern Baptist seminary in Louisville. And when I first got there, uh, they had two levels of, of tuition. One was for Baptists, not just Southern Baptists, but Baptists, so I was included in that. And the other was for non-Baptists, which was more expensive. And so uh, for the first two years, I was there for three years, for the first two years, um, I was able to have that lower tuition, which helped me to be able to do some scholarships and some help to be able to pay my way all the way through and not have any debt as part of seminary. Um, and then we got to the third year. And they decided between the second year and the third year to change the way they classified it. And they were going to now make it Southern Baptist and non-Southern Baptist, which meant that I went from the lower tuition to the higher tuition. Um, and as, as I think about that, uh, or as I thought about that, I was trying to figure out, because at that point, I didn't have any money. I was just working a, a, a little job to try to pay the bills as I went. Uh, there was no giant trust fund or whatever. And so as I found out about that change, I was trying to figure out, okay, God, what are we going to do? Because I don't have the money to be able to pay the higher tuition. I knew I was going to continue on, and I knew I didn't want to take out student loans, but how am I going to pay the higher tuition? And so it was a situation where I was sitting there and trying to figure out, okay, I, I don't have the resources, so how are we going to do what needs to be done? Th this morning we want to talk about that subject. Now, it may happen to be in your life, the example I used was a, a seminary example there of uh, and tuition. It, it, could it could be any number of situations. We're going to talk about several examples later. But any number of situations where we find ourselves walking forward, and we believe we're doing God's will, and we believe we're walking in the way that God wants us to, and yet we find ourselves coming up against something where we realize we don't have within ourselves the resources to be able to overcome that difficulty, to be able to overcome that obstacle. And for a lot of us, as we walk down that path, that becomes a, a point of great discouragement. It becomes a, a moment of great defeat for many people. And as we talk in this series on Satan and the way that he, he sometimes gets us off track, we want to talk this morning about those moments when we feel like we don't have the resources, we, we don't have the abilities to go forward and do what needs to be done, and what exactly God may be doing there. And this is an important truth for us to understand so that we don't end up giving in to the lies of Satan and finding that we are, in fact, getting off track. So if you have your sermon outline this morning, let's start with this point, and that is this. There, uh, we're going to talk about times when we don't feel like we can make it. And the first point is this. When you feel like you're overwhelmed, you're facing a, quote, God gap. You're facing a God gap. Now, that's a term that I've, uh, I've made up on my own, 
And, and what I mean by that is a situation, I've used this before in a sermon a long time ago, a different sermon, but I want to come back to it this morning. It's the difference between kind of, I have the, I have a certain number of resources and abilities and skills, and yet the situation demands something that I don't have. It demands more resources. It demands more skills. It demands more ability. And I find myself with this gap between what I have and what I can bring to the table and what the situation demands. And the difference between the two, what I'm going to call it this morning, is a God gap. It's that space in between where there's an opportunity. If we will allow him to do it, there's a space for God to show up and make the difference between what we have and what we need. It's really important for us to understand what uh, we read here in John chapter 14 as we grasp the, the truth that, um, that Jesus is conveying here. There, there's an immediate truth that he's conveying, but then there's a larger principle we need to understand about the way that God worked, God the Father worked in his life and the way that God the Father works in our life. Let's go back to John 14, 10 for a second. Jesus says, Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? So there is this close connection between him and his heavenly father. Now, we're, we can also say, although we're not in the same position as Jesus, that nonetheless, as we have become Christians, that Christ is in us and we are in him. There are other passages where Paul writes that that's true. And so if we are living the way that we're supposed to and following Christ, there's also supposed to be a close connection between us and God as well. He goes on and says, the words that I say to you I do not speak on my own authority. What's he mean by that? He means that he is speaking what God the Father has told him to say. He's not making up stuff on his own, but rather he is speaking through the power and authority of God the Father. And then the next sentence is the most important for what we're going to talk about this morning. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. It is the Father living in me, Christ says, who is doing his work. What does that mean? It means um, we, we often think about Jesus as a superman, that, that when he came down to earth, he had all these powerful abilities because he was God, and so he goes forward, and when he does miracles, and when he does healings, and when he teaches, like he's just going forward, and he's doing it all on his own. Like he has all that power, and that's not what the Bible teaches us. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11 tell us, that when Jesus came into the world, he emptied himself. He emptied himself in order to be able to be fully human. And so as Jesus was on this earth, he wasn't Superman who went around having the power to do all these things on his own, but rather he was continually relying on the power of his heavenly Father, on the wisdom of his heavenly Father flowing through him in order to be able to do the work in order to be able to give him the teaching, in order to be able to do what needs to be done. I was just reading this week about, uh, in my daily Bible reading, about the, the story where Jesus is going to pick the 12 disciples. And you know what it says he did before that? It says he went and he spent an entire night in prayer with his heavenly Father. Why? Because he was relying on God the Father to direct him as to who the right people to pick were, what exactly he needed to do in choosing the different ones. And here again we see as we look at this passage, he says, rather it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. And so Jesus goes forward with the Father giving him the power to do the miracles, with the Father giving him the wisdom to be able to do what needs to be done. And the reason Jesus was able to live in perfect uh, connection with the Father and was able to do all these miracles was that as he was obeying the Father and everything that he was doing, 
he was also allowing the power of the Father to flow through him to be able to do those miracles. Go back to the phrase I used a minute ago. There's a God gap in our lives where there is what we have the resources to do and then what we want God to, what, what we need to have done in our lives. And there's that difference between what we have within us in our own power and what we need. And in that moment, we are to follow the example of Christ here. Because Jesus allowed the power of God the Father to flow through him to be able to achieve what needed to be done. And in our own lives, we're going to face situations where a similar thing is going to happen. And in those situations, we are to trust in God the Father in order to be able to bring that about. Now, let me give you the three ways that we often respond, and and we'll emphasize this idea of how we're trusting in the Father. The second thing is this. Your options are as we face a situation like that, you basically have three options. You can try, or I'm sorry, you can cry, try, or rely. You can cry, try, or rely. So as we face a situation where what we have and what is demanded has that gap in between, the three choices we have basically are this. We can cry about it, We can just look at it and say, I can't do this. There's no way I can do it. And so I'm just going to be sad about it. I'm going to be depressed about it. And a lot of times we do that. We look at what we can't do and we just get depressed about it. Eventually we get numb to it and we just kind of go on with our lives not having achieved what God wanted us to. So we can cry. The second thing, and this is the option that a lot of us choose rather than the third one, is that we can try. And what I mean by try is we can look at it and say, okay, I I don't know that I can do that. I don't know that I have the ability, but I'm going to give it my best shot. I'm going to do all that I can to bring it about. And in my own effort and in my own ability and in my own resources, I'm going to go forward and try to do all that I can. And so we try and we give it our best. And then almost always, because it was such a bigger situation that we can handle, we do that and we fail. And then we blame God because, God, why didn't you show up for me? Because I, we try and we fail. The third option is that we can rely. And by that I mean we can rely on the power of God the Father flowing through our lives to bring resources, abilities, uh, and, and the other things that we need to be able to make that difference between where we are at and what we need to happen. To, for him to show up and to fill that God gap with his power and his ability. Now, as we think about that, that means, and, and this is something that, especially those of us, I think, that are American Christians, because we live in a culture that is all about, you know, get out there and give it your best, and give it 110%, and you can make it happen. You can go make your dreams happen if you just try hard enough. And the problem with that, biblically, is God's going to ask us to do some things that we can't do on our own. He's going to ask us to go in some places where we can't bring it about if it's just us doing it by ourselves. And so we try what we've heard all the way through our lives. Just try hard, try hard, try hard. And then we fail. And this is where it's important for what we're talking about this morning. So we're talking about, in this larger series, we're talking about Satan. And we're talking about the ways that he tries to defeat us. And this is a point where a lot of people get off track. And this is why. So I don't realize I'm supposed to rely on the power of God, but instead I just do what I've always done, which is I try to do it on my own. And then I go forward and I'm not able to achieve it. I'm not able to bring it about. I can't make it happen. And then what happens? I get discouraged. I get dejected. I get depressed. And I give up. Have you ever been to, a, let's say, a high school basketball game? 
and the other team starts out like like wildfire, and you can watch, not every game, but have you been to one of those games where you watch the other team? It's only the second quarter. They are down, but there's a ton of game left. They could come back maybe, but it's the second quarter and they quit. Have you ever seen it? Like you can see in their eyes, they're done. There's no way they're coming back and winning because they've quit. The, the, the obstacle they're facing has just depressed them to the point where they're done. Now they're gonna play the rest of the game, but they're not gonna give maximum effort. They're not gonna try because they think it's over. Spiritually speaking, if Satan can get us in that spot where God puts us in a position where he wants us to do something great, but we try to do it on our own and we don't rely on God, we'll talk about that more in a second, and we go forward and we do that and we fail and then we get depressed and we blame God and we say, I'm not going to try anything anymore. I'm not going to go forward and, and attempt anything great for God anymore. And we get depressed and we just kind of sit on the sidelines. Guess what? We're out of the game, essentially. We're useless to the kingdom of God going forward. Why? Because we didn't understand the way that God works in our lives. We didn't understand what he wanted to do. And so we get depressed and we get dejected and we just sit on the sidelines. There are so many Christians that Satan doesn't have to worry about making an impact for the kingdom, not necessarily because, although this is a, a different issue, not necessarily because they're in some horrible sin or because they've done something that is absolutely horrible, uh, spiritually speaking, but instead they just got depressed spiritually. They, they've got dejected spiritually, and they've given up in the second quarter thinking that God can do anything great through them, and so they're not trying anymore. Satan doesn't have to worry about you if you're, out, if you're, if you're not trying, if, if you're just going through the motions, which is why the third thing is so important spiritually for us to understand, and that is not cry, not try, but rely. And what I mean by that is that we are called to rely, just like Jesus did, we're called to rely on the power of God to be able to go forward and do great things for him, to be able to really, uh, almost anything spiritual we're going to do that's going to have a, a, an impact that is substantial is going to demand that we rely on the power of God to show up to do what we can't do on our own. You say, well, what's that look like? Well, let's do four examples real quick. Uh, I'm going to look at three passages within this one. I'll, I'll hold off till next week. But what does that look like at a practical level um, in relying on God? Four examples. Number one is salvation. Number one is salvation. Now, this is the most obvious one, but let's start here because this is a simple one. John 3.17 says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. All right, so how does this work on salvation? Well, I know I'm failing. I know I'm not where I need to be spiritually. I know that, that um, I need God in my life. So what am I going to do? What do so many people do? I'm going to try to be a better person. I'm going to go to church. I'm all in favor of going to church. I'm looking forward to having my congregation back. I want you to go to church. Going to church does not save you. Going to church does not get you to heaven. What does it say in the second half of that verse? But to save the world through him. What does that mean? It means, to go back to the words that we were using a moment ago, as I recognize my need for salvation, as I recognize, recognize my need to have a relationship with God, it doesn't start with trying harder spiritually, and I'm going to just do my very best to be a good person from now on. It starts with relying. I have to rely on what Jesus did for me on the cross and how he died for my sins, recognize what I cannot do, and go before God and say, God, there's a difference between 
what I can do spiritually and try to be a good person and what you demand spiritually, which is perfection. And I can't fill that gap. I need you to fill that gap. And the good news is through Jesus Christ and his death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave, Jesus filled that gap for us. And so we come to him and I say, I'm going to rely on Jesus. I'm going to rely on what he did for me on the cross. When I get to heaven someday, it doesn't matter if I've been a preacher for 50 years and a ton of people got saved and I did a great job. I'm not getting into heaven because I was a preacher. I'm getting into heaven because all those years ago, I fell on my knees before the cross and said, I need you, Jesus. And so it doesn't come spiritually on salvation by trying. It comes by relying. Second example. Let's um, flip over to John chapter uh, 11. For, or no, I'm sorry, to, yeah, John 11. And let's look at another passage. John 11:42. The second thing, not only is it true for salvation, but the second example is a vision. A vision. If God gives us a vision of something he wants us to do, a, a heart desire, how does that work? Well, John 11, uh, 41 and 42. It says there, uh, so they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. The second example is a vision. So in this particular passage, we have Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead, an incredible display of spiritual power. And I love what he says here. And, and like, it's very clear from his words of these two verses. He knows what's going on. Like, he's got this all under control. He knows the power by which he is going to raise Lazarus from the grave. But he kind of gives a little, it's almost like a stage aside. Now, for those of you that don't understand what's going on here, let me explain it to you. And look at what he says. Father, I thank you that you heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. You see what he's doing there? He's, he's acknowledging, all right, the vision that he has in this moment is he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead, which is an incredible uh, a vision. And as, as he desires, that's what he wants to accomplish. That's the vision he wants to accomplish. And as he does that, he kind of has this moment where he goes, all right, listen, essentially to us, he's saying, I'm not doing this because I have power enough myself. I'm going to accomplish this because I'm praying to God the Father. And God the Father has heard me. He wants to accomplish it too. And so he's going to bring the power through me. The vision I want to accomplish is going to happen, not because of what's in me, but because of God the Father's power flowing through me and bringing Lazarus back from the dead. In our lives, when we uh, face a, when we have a vision we want to accomplish, and it can be something big, maybe a giant ministry we want to start, or maybe something we feel like God wants us to accomplish with our lives. And it could be something small, just a little thing that we have on our heart that we want to bring about, and yet we realize we don't have the resources, ability to do it. As we go forward with this vision, again, we have to rely on God to bring about what we can't do in and of ourselves. The best example I can think of locally of that, and I brought this up in a few sermons recently, is the Hero House. We have the Hero House. There's these people, they want to do something for those that are addicted and to see them come to have victory in their lives through the power of Jesus Christ. They don't have any resources or very little resources, and they go forward, and God gives them one house, and then God gives them another house. I was up Friday with Preston to the second house. It got its first resident on Friday, the Women's Hero House, 
and that all came about. They're fixing it up. It looks great. They've got more work that they're going to do where people have donated money. And all those resources are coming in. And I'm not saying this. Preston will acknowledge this too, and Bill will acknowledge this too. I'm not going to say anything that's going to offend them. It's not because they're the two smartest people in the world or they're the two people with the greatest number of resources in the world. It's because they're trusting God. To, they're relying on God to fulfill the vision of what God has given them in their hearts. And God has shown up to give them two houses and all these resources to be able to do what's necessary to bring these two houses to the place where they can be hero houses. It's the power of God showing up and the difference between what they could do and what God wanted to accomplish. The vision was in between those two, and God filled that gap to be able to bring it about. When we go forward, it's not a stop sign whenever we have this vision and then we realize, I don't have the resources to do that. God wants to do something that's bigger than us. And so we go forward relying on him to provide what's needed. Third example is this. Third example is a temptation. A temptation. Um, when we face spiritual struggles, um, and I want to look, and I'm, I'm not going to look now because we're going to spend all next week, the, the entire sermon next week is in Ephesians chapter 6, and we're going to talk about uh, the, the armor of the Lord, the, the armor of God that he has given us to be able to fight spiritual battles because it's really important when we're in those spiritual battles that we're not defenseless. And I think many of us don't understand the, the teaching that Paul gives in Ephesians chapter 6. And so we're going to spend all the sermon next week talking about what the specific items in the spiritual in the, the armor of God mean spiritually for us to be able to have victory. And so I'll get into that next week. Let me just say right now, as we face temptation, and we alluded to this a couple weeks ago when I preached a, a, a different sermon, we talk about the fact that... The, we in and of ourselves, when we were in 1 Corinthians 13, we in and of ourselves don't always have, sometimes we do, but in many situations, we don't have the willpower to be able to overcome the temptation, to be able to overcome the struggle. And remember, we talked about how God will provide a way out and God will not let us be tempted more than we are able to withstand. And so there again, in both those things, in relying on God to keep the temptation to a level we can handle and in providing a way out, what are, what's another word for those two things? Relying. We're relying on God to provide what we need to be able to continue to live in victory. I have a certain amount of willpower, but to be able to live with pushing aside temptation requires something I don't have. It requires more than I have. And so I rely on God. When I'm facing that temptation, it's not all about willpower, although willpower has its place, but it's also about coming before God and saying, God, I'm going to lose if you don't show up. Why do you think, go back to the heroes example, why do you think, go back to AA for all those years, one of the first things in AA that they tell you is you have to admit you can't do it on your own. You, you need, they say, a higher power. I'm going to rely on Jesus Christ. You need God to be able to show up to provide what you can't do on your own. Temptation is going to overcome us in so many situations if we don't rely on the power of God to fill between what we can do and what we need to live in victory. And then the fourth example I want to um, look over in Luke chapter 22 for just a second. Luke 22. Um, the third example is a struggle. A struggle. In Luke 22, starting in verse uh, 39, and I won't read this whole passage down through 46, but it says, Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into 
temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond and knelt down in prayer, and, or knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. The fourth thing is a struggle. And Jesus here in the Garden of Gethsemane is going through a great struggle. And as he goes through that struggle, again we see him going to God the Father and relying on him in that moment to be able to continue to give him the vision. It's clear from his words there, he, his personal desire would have been to, to go in another direction. He's asking God, isn't there another way out? But of course, for our salvation, it was necessary that he go to the cross that our sins might have the opportunity to be forgiven. And so even as his own desire is to go, he's struggling with that. He goes to God the Father and asks God to provide the direction and the will to be able to continue to go forward to do what he knows had to be done, even though he was struggling in that moment. And as we go through struggles, it's the same thing there. We can go to God and ask for that direction and that power to be able to overcome the struggles that we are dealing with. Now, as I close, I want to go back to John 11 for a second, because there's a couple more verses that are important for us in understanding why God does it like this. So we've been talking this whole time about, um, about God forcing us to rely on him and putting us in situations where we're going to have to rely on him. And, and I don't mean like, okay, if you're living your Christian life right, you're never going to have to do this, but if you get off a little bit, you may have to rely on him. No, this is part of the way he's designed it is that we are going to be, if you are not as a Christian, in situations where you have to rely on God, you need to stop and assess what's going on with your Christian life. Because if we are living the way that we should, it is inevitably going to happen on a regular basis that we have to rely on God in a way that we've talked about this morning. Why? Why did God organize it like that? Going back to our original passage in John chapter 14, and I want to go down just a little bit. We read earlier verse 10. But let's go down and read verses uh, 12 and 13. It says there, this, this is still Jesus speaking. Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I'm going to the Father, and I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. The last thing is this. Why would God allow that? And the answer is the bigger the God gap, the more glory to God. The bigger the God gap, the more glory to God. Why would God regularly put us in situations where we don't have the resources to bring it about, where we don't have the ability to bring it about? Because as we do that, Every time that we're in a situation, we have to trust in God. And again, we choose and say, I, I, I don't know how he's going to do it, but I'm going to trust in God to bring this about. I'm going to trust in him to, to open up a door. Every time we do that and we rely on God and he comes through for us, it gives us the opportunity to give glory to God and to say, man, you know, I serve a Savior. I serve a Father who is able to take care of these things. And we honor and glorify him because we are in a situation where we didn't have the ability to bring it about, and he showed up and answered. Look at what this passage says. Let's unpack it just for a second. There's two things here that are really important. Let's look at, the, at verse uh, 13 first, and then we'll go back to verse 12. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father 
may be glorified in the Son. We've talked about this before in prayer. Why is God willing to answer our prayers? One of the main three reasons that he's willing to answer our prayers is that answered prayer glorifies God. Whenever I'm in a position where I can't bring it about, I ask God to show up, he does show up, and then I am not only rejoicing in that, but then I share with other people, you're not going to believe what God did for me. You're not going to believe what I was facing. And he showed up and he did this for me. That doesn't glorify me. That glorifies God. And so he desires to answer our prayers. One of the reasons we can have confidence in his desire to answer our prayers is that when he shows up and answers our prayers in a big way, it gives him glory. As it says there in verse 13, whatever uh, Jesus says, I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. When I ask for a big prayer request through the name of the Son, and then the Father brings it about, the Father is glorified in the Son through my prayer request. We should ask for bigger stuff. Whenever I ask for great things and God is able to bring it about, that gives glory to the Father through the Son that I've asked. We need to ask for bigger stuff to bring more glory to God. The second thing, going back to verse 12, is a verse that we really struggle with. I think, you know, we're Baptists, so we say, I believe the whole Bible. I I believe the Bible's all true. We do, and the Bible is all true. But verse 12 is one of those verses where we kind of read, we're like, come on, really? Come on. But look at what he says. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. Even greater things. As we think about the impact that Jesus had on lives and and transforming lives from being, uh, from going in a direction away from God to instead, like, let's take Peter, for instance, who was just a lowly fisherman and then became one of the greatest preachers of the gospel and impacted so many people through his life to be able to walk with Jesus Christ. And as Jesus is talking here, he envisions the church going forward and us all living lives where as we pray, ask for great things, as we live in obedience to him, that we are going to impact the lives of those around us. Remember, the most important legacy we can have is not how much money we build up or how big of a church we build, but how many lives we impact. If we go forward and pray for great things, trust in God, rely on him to work through us, and focus our attention on how many lives we can change, they will do even greater things than these. Because Jesus, it says, is going to the Father. He's going to intercede for us so that as we ask, he's going to be right there for us. And so as we add all this up together, what we see is the desire that God has to not just, well, you know, we do this because we have to do it. I don't really like this system. No, this is the system. We are to rely on God. It brings glory to him. And through Jesus Christ, we're going to do even greater things. So it's important today, if you are a Christian who's been sitting on the sideline because you you stepped out and tried a little bit and it didn't work because you didn't have the resources. And so you've kind of been Uh, staying on the sideline. You haven't tried anything for God. You haven't really been praying for great things. You haven't stepped out and tried to impact anybody's life. Maybe this morning for the first time you realize, wait a second, I was doing it the wrong way. I was trying on my own instead of relying on God. And it's time to get back up, trust God, and step forward believing that he desires to do great things through your 
lie. Don't let the lie of Satan that, listen, you can't trust God. He's not going to come through for you. You tried and you failed. Don't let that get you off track. God, when we rely on him, when we trust in him, when we come before him and believe that he's going to do great things and pray, believing that I can't do it on my own, but I believe you can do it through me, God desires to bring great glory to himself through the prayers and through the actions that he answers in our own lives. That gap between where we are and what we need, God's glory rests in that gap. And that's why he's so eager to answer. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for Jesus not only being our Savior, but being our example. And Father, we're we're so stubborn and self-sufficient and prideful, and I'm drawing the circle and standing inside it, Father. We, we don't like asking for stuff, and we don't like relying. We'd rather do it ourselves. And yet Jesus sets the example for us of how you desire to work in our lives. Father, help us not to rely on you begrudgingly, but to rely on you joyfully, excited to see what you're going to do in that gap between what we have and what you want to bring about. I pray in Jesus' name because he said to ask in his name. And amen.